Hello and welcome to Affable Chat. My name is Benjamin and this is Joey. Hey, how's it going? And today we're talking about Minority Report. Imagine a world without murder. I lost my best friend. I lost my aunt. I lost my dad. I lost my father. I lost my wife. Just six years ago, the homicide rate in this country had reached epidemic proportions. It seemed that only a miracle could stop the bloodshed. But instead of one miracle, we were given three. The precognitives. Within just one month under the pre-crime program, the murder rate in the District of Columbia was reduced 90%. They were going to be waiting for me in the car. He was going to rape me. I was going to be stabbed. Right here. Within a year, pre-crime effectively stopped murder in our nation's capital. In the six years we've been conducting our little experiment, there hasn't been a single murder. And now pre-crime can work for you. We want to make this is a crime drama directed by Steven Spielberg. The cast includes Tom Cruise, Damien Dark, Colin Filth, and Eyeballs. I watched this movie on YouTube. Joey, how did you watch it? I watched it on Amazon Video. Nice. Uh, go ahead and give us the synopsis, Joey. The synopsis for Minority Report? Give us the synopsis for the movie Minority Report. Okay. A man rolls his eyes. Very clever synopsis for a very interesting movie. This is my first time seeing it. Um, I'm guessing you've seen it probably multiple times, right, Joey? I've only seen it once, but I, I, my dad's been watching it on Spanish, in Spanish on TV whenever it comes on. I don't know why. <laughs> <laughs> he says it's a superior method. He doesn't speak Spanish. I don't know why he's doing that. Wait, Maybe wait. because he just understands the whole movie because he's seen it so many times. He doesn't even see it in English. Wait, so what is, like, he's watching it in Spanish, but with, like, English subtitles? No, it's just on the Spanish channel. <laughs> Increíble. Um, that's actually awesome. Uh, we need to have your dad on an episode, dude. Talk about his, his methods. Um, let's go ahead and get into this movie uh, with our pros, um, talking about what we liked about it. I'll get started. I love Tom Cruise doing his own stunts. Uh, there was definitely a lot of opportunities, especially early in this movie, for Tom Cruise to do stuff besides just running. Uh, he was like the the whole manufacturing car battle scene was definitely a good opportunity for him to show what he can do in those stunts. I like all the future technology we got to see and the future like technology topics, you know, the kind of the black mirror-y implications of new technology. I liked that. They did more than just, I mean, obviously this movie is about the central, I like the idea of being able to predict crime, but it goes beyond that. There's, there's more to it than that, um, which that itself, the can you predict crime is an interesting moral dilemma, which uh, makes this movie really compelling. And I thought that the plot had an interesting twist that kept it entertaining uh, you know, in the third act. What did you like about it, Joey? I, I agree with all those things. Um, and I, it's an incredibly interesting premise, dealing with some really good philosophical ideas. There's some great acting, uh, consistent and dark tone, and there's, it really complements the gritty atmosphere that this movie's set in. There's a lot of cool future stuff that I think I, I definitely forgot about since I've seen this movie the last time. Um, a lot of stuff that I... I, I thought was in different movies that was actually in this one and of course my favorite thing in any movie ever tom cruise running oh um, yeah plenty of him running him talking about running ah it's just if you love tom cruise running this is the movie for you we should do a podcast while we're on the run like we should get uh wireless headphones and with that a mic definitely sounds like it would have great audio quality <sighs> It would not be super annoying. I thought this movie was pretty good. 
<laughs> All right, so um, that's the stuff we liked about it. What what didn't we like about it, Joey? What did you not like about Minority Report? I think the action is pretty silly in some parts. Maybe I'm just you know used to like Marvel movie action. It's been you know carefully crafted over ten years. Uh, this movie has some really like hysterically silly action scenes. Um, there's not enough of a moral dilemma really related to the actual science of the pre- of pre crime. I think I feel like the plot is kind of confusing and it's really gross. Oh my gosh, I forgot how gross this movie is. Dude, totally. And I definitely <laughs> want to talk about that a little bit more in detail. I hope do you have can we talk about the silly action in detail a little bit for uh, like later? Yes, do you want to do that right now? Well, yeah, I don't I don't want us to glaze over that because what what were you what did you think was silly? Can you like <laughs> the whole the whole jetpack thing when they <laughs> confront him in the alley, right? And the first thing that happens is he's like, "All right, everybody runs." And he's like, "All this all this dramatic stuff." Then he they you have those six sticks or like there's like batons that if you hit someone with them they make you throw up i so thought that was he awesome like, he like got him right in the throat and there was projectile vomit and i'm like what is happening and then they're like <laughs> the guys are so awkward they're like flailing their arms through the air while they're riding their jetpacks because it's the first time they've ever ridden a jet jetpack and they're like constantly going through people's houses and bumping into stuff there's that whole thing where they linger on that guy who's watching tv or something he's just sitting in his chair and there's like all this chaos happening around his house and he doesn't even move or care <laughs> It's just the whole thing is shot so hysterically, but it's all so serious at the same time. It's like, oh, we're going to bring you in, Anderton. No, Fletcher, I'm not going to do it. You know, it's like, <laughs> I'm not going to kill him. Uh, it's so ridiculous. Have you seen uh, Jingle All the Way starring Arnold Schwarzenegger? I have not. Ah, okay. There's a great, there's a hilarious jetpack bit in that mm. movie, and it's very, it's oddly similar to this, where it's, it's like so strange crashing like... through residential apartments <laughs> in a jetpack. <laughs> you think like jetpacks give you lots of mobility, but in this movie, at least, it's like very clear that it makes it way more awkward to get around. It seems like the police just got the jetpacks, but they were pretending they've had them for a long time. Right. <laughs> They're like, I'm fine. I'm fine. Don't help me. Don't help me. Yeah, I got this. I got this. <laughs> Let go! Get off! Get off! Get like the whole like grabbing onto the guy and like using his jetpack is just kind of ridiculous. Like the the guy who has the jetpack, what are you doing, dude? (laughs) Get Tom Cruise off of you. Anyways, okay, I don't want to get I don't want to get sidetracked, but I didn't want us to glaze over that point. Um, For me, I thought this movie was kind of long. I thought maybe it could have been shorter. Uh, It felt like it was kind of dragged out a bit, especially the middle part. Um, But. The plot, well, additionally, the plot can be a little bit hard to follow at times. I agree with you there. Um, there's a lot of screaming. A lot of oh times gosh. where the uh, Agatha, where Agatha is panicking, and I know that's part of her character. She's like witnessing all these horrors and stuff, but you know, like, <laughs> there are definitely times where I was like, ah, oh, geez, chill, you know? Um, I don't know. That's just like a personal thing. I'm not a big fan of just straight up screaming. And there's plenty of that in this movie. And I agree with you completely. This movie was so gross uh, at certain points. And uh, I mean, obviously something they were going for, uh, but it was pretty gross. Okay, let's get into the overall portion of our episode here. Joey, take it away. Yeah, so I I mean, my first impression really coming away from this is like, I've forgotten how just disgusting this movie is. Like that one... So when there's that whole thing where he has to take his get his eyes taken out, right? He has those things in his eyes like he's in Clockwork Orange. Yes. And he's gonna have that like that doctor who like has a grudge against him, but still like actually takes his eyes out and does a good job. Like he's they're like operating on him and everything. And then I'm like, okay, you know, like I'm watching this movie for the podcast. I can sit through the eye scene. I can do this, right? I'm sitting there. I'm watching him take, like, he doesn't show a lot of taking the eyes out, but I see him put the stuff in his eyes, and it's just like, it's like, oh, you know what's going to happen. Then 
the worst thing happens, which is when he get after he's like blinded, he's sitting on the bed and he goes to the kitchen to get the sandwich the guy made, and he has to eat a gosh dang moldy sandwich and drink spilled milk. I was, that's what I turned away. I was like, I can do, I can do like like disgusting surgery. I cannot do someone eating a bad sandwich. That is the line for me. Well, I I'm so glad we watched Clockwork Orange uh, on a previous episode, uh, so that we had something to describe what was happening to his eyes. I'm like, oh, Clockwork Orange eyes. There they yeah. are. Um, but but yeah, dude, the, I just, I did think it was clever, the reveal of all the moldy stuff in the fridge, because you see him put this nice sandwich and nice bottle of milk into the fridge, and you're like, oh, good, you know, that's for him. But then you open it and reveal that it's almost, it's like 95% moldy, disgusting food. Uh, I, I was grossed out by it, but at the same time, I was like, good reveal. Good. Like, no, I was, I was prepared because <laughs> I had seen this movie. I was like, I am not prepared for this. I cannot look at this. No way. Well, I was like... I was like hungry before I started watching this movie and after it I'm like I don't know if I could eat like, <laughs> this is, I'm done well I loved how I was like you know they give you a ch- they give him a chance he's like reaching his hands around and like he gets his hands on the right stuff kind of at first and mm. you're just like there's no way they're gonna have him just eat a normal <laughs> sandwich he's definitely eating the moldy bread Ugh. Ugh. yeah Ugh. no I Ugh. there's a lot of that All right, so I really want to compare this movie to two other Steven Spielberg movies um Jurassic Park and Ready Player One. Um, both of these movies kind of serve as morality films that use science fiction to raise philosophical ideas. And they, ha- and they also serve as like fun action movies. Jurassic Park works on many levels. In many ways, I find it to be a really perfect adaptation to the Michael uh, Crichton novel and that it explores the ideas in the story, but it also capitalizes on the spectacle that they're promising in the story. But the thing that makes Jurassic Park stand out, in my opinion, is its cultural impact. Jurassic Park, the fictional park where dinosaurs serve as metaphor for science that is unchecked or unregulated, is always going to be on your mind whenever science begins to play with nature or genetics. You know, someone's like, oh, we found some ancient DNA and we think we can like raise mammoths. The first person someone's going to say is like, that sounds like Jurassic Park. Remember how that turned out? Yeah. Like, it, it's, it's actually relevant to especially the science that's happening today. And it's like always going to be in the back of people's minds is always going to serve as a kind of cultural touchstone or as like some sort of warning almost like 1984 is constantly referenced in politics Jurassic Park is constantly referenced in science Ready Player One on the other hand is not a great adaptation its source material is also kind of lacking and its message of like maybe we should spend some more time in the real world is kind of muddled and I feel very insincere like the fact that you're you're making that message through a movie is kind of totally ironic and totally misses the whole point. So (laughs) whatever. But but the point is that there's like, there's these two edges of um, Steven Spielberg's movies. There's the Jurassic Park cultural impact. And then there's Ready Player One, which is like negligible. Minority Report, I think falls somewhere in the middle, maybe closer to the Jurassic Park end, but definitely like not as relevant. And I think the problem I have with it is that it, it goes for that same Jurassic Park feel where it's like there's some ethical responsibility that we're going to have to face as a human race if we really want to deal with like the technology that we're, in, we're inventing. But the reasons that they abolish pre-crime like, are not the reasons that I feel like pre-crime is a bad idea. And like the confusing plot and everything that comes through it just doesn't like line up exactly with 
like the philosophical ideas that they're trying to push. There's not enough of a adherence to we can see the future and there's that's that's a bad thing. You know, it's more like oh we just set it up wrong. You know, we have people that like erase files f for no reason. We have all these holes in our system that we just invented six years ago. It's like which is some tweaking. You know, maybe some less. You know holding people hostage for their whole entire lives and reading their minds constantly like maybe we could make this work maybe that would be, be be better but that's that's not the message you'd be taking away from this movie you should be taking away that pre-crime as a concept is a dangerous idea and no matter how perfectly you pull it off it's still not going to work yeah i um i i agree because the movie sets up pre-crime as this kind of ambiguous solution it looks like it works all the time but at the same time simultaneously it seems kind of flawed i yeah. love the opening to this film the way that they display the whole like basically stopping a crime from happening um is amazing throughout the kind of like premonitions or you know kind of previews that aren't very clear they're all kind of blurry you don't see the whole picture it creates reasonable doubt it gives you there are even times while you're watching it right up until the time where the guy picks like swings his scissors where you think maybe he's not going to do it. it it gives you enough to not be certain as to whether this is right or wrong but then towards the end of the movie they're like oh guess what it's definitely wrong and yeah. <laughs> removes the the choice that you get to make as the viewer to say, is this a good solution or not? Because not having murder in DC is pretty good, especially after the murder epidemic, which right? is kind of crazy. It's like, okay, is the 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 solution is to uh, you know see the future? That's easier than figuring out how to stop people from killing each other all over the place. Like, why are people killing each other so much? Yeah, I, I mean, that, maybe that was, you know, hyped up because they were trying to pass that national bill, right? Like, like cover the entire United States in blood. Like, yeah. <laughs> you know, I feel like that's over the top a little bit. But, you know, that's that's what they do in political campaigns. I don't know. I, I think that first scene, I agree, is so amazing. And I really showcases the amount of imagination that went into this movie. The whole process with him interpreting everything and moving everything around super fluidly. Like, that's why Tom Cruise is such a great actor, is that he can interact with his environment with in such fluidity and such like confidence that it really becomes real. And having him on that clear screen, he has those finger things and it looks like he's doing this a thousand times and he knows exactly what he's doing. You know, it's just perfect. And everything's just like the way he moves his hands and everything just looks right, you know? Oh, yeah. It looks like he's actually manipulating the stuff that's on screen. So it's, like, masterfully done. And they have the classical music playing in the background, and he's the way right. he's moving his hands, he looks like he's a uh, conductor with right. an orchestra in front of him. And, uh, and he's, like, the way he's augmenting the timeline and bring that back you know and uh right right and dude, he's like twishing it back and forth I, to figure out it's a merry-go-round that's me when i'm editing my youtube videos dude i i need those gloves that he's got <laughs> slow motion in this part bring that right, back right. color correct um, <laughs> yes exactly but I, I i did like the way they kind of combined pure because obviously this movie was made a little while ago, so the special effects aren't exactly up to what we're used to seeing today, but they mix practical effects with the special effects, I think, pretty well. Like, the the screens that kind of, like, slide into the glass on the side. Yeah, that's really cool, isn't it? Yeah, it was very satisfying to see those things, the way that interacted, like, the real, I'm saying, like, real, like, in quotations here, uh, technology with, like, the completely computer-animated stuff, I thought was really cool, especially at the beginning when they're just looking like he's a master at it 
Yeah, yeah. Especially since like nowadays they would they wouldn't do that, right? It would be wireless, right? It'd be like, oh, you can just connect that computer to his screen and you can just swipe it over or whatever. But having the actual physical action of moving something really kind of brings you back into that world. And it's like, oh, this is the technology and this is how it works. And they and they use that same idea all the time, right? They have those little flash drives, which are little pieces of glass that show like what the video is or whatever. And they like stick them into little things and then you display them. Yeah, it's awesome. And like the uh, the I noticed this when I was watching Ready Player One, but using clear screens is like a really interesting movie idea because you can see what's on the screen but you can also see the people who are watching the screen's reactions so you can look through it to see what they're looking at and also how they're reacting to it so it's a clever movie um technique i think to use clear screens even if clear screens would not be that practical in real life right yeah i i don't know i i like the i like the aesthetic of this movie even though it is really gross like they i really commend it for not pulling back the whole thing is so grungy and dirty you know it's definitely not a movie for kids at all it's it's way too like it's way too dirty um and it's like the world is filled with these sad broken people like john anderton and there's like this overexposure in the light to make everything kind of seem kind of dreamlike or at least that the people are in the world don't really exist in the world you know it, it's it's a lot of that and i i like that whole like adherence to that tone and the adherence to a certain idea but at the same time it's just like really brutal you know the whole, like they linger on him losing his kid um so much and like he loses his kid in like the most like crazy way possible he goes underwater and looks away for five seconds and then his kid is gone and he never sees him again can we can we it's talk like, about that scene really, right <laughs> quick here's the thing dude and i don't want to sound like a robot okay i don't want to sound like I, I i have no heart but tom cruise loves his son way too much in this movie <laughs> way too much they actually i think um the the guy how would you feel excuse me how would you feel <laughs> hey excuse me if you're excuse me how would you feel if your robot son got kidnapped you know, you were at the pool with your robot son, and he got kidnapped. Listen, I'm not saying he shouldn't be upset, but he takes it a little bit far, okay? Um, because what's his name? The guy from who came to investigate, uh, who helps... Oh, uh, Colin Firth, uh, Whitwer? Whitwer, yeah. When Whitwer... <laughs> when they're talking about uh, his drug addiction and Lamar is trying to defend John and say like, oh, you know, he he's dealt with this ever since his son. And he's like, that was six years ago. Like, how can this guy still be, you know, dealing with this now? Like, obviously, yeah, it doesn't go away completely ever. But like to still be totally out of control because of missing his son so much. I mean, it almost makes sense because while his son is alive, he still loves him too much because <laughs> I... I, I definitely cringed and had visions of Tom Brady kissing his sons when he was like getting ready to go underneath the water. He's like, you know, I'm gonna beat the whale or whatever. And he's like counting him down like three, two, and then he like springs out of the water like a dolphin and gives his son a kiss on the cheek before going underwater. Like, come on, dude. Like that was the most my son is about to disappear forever move ever. You know, like, like are you saying that if he hadn't kissed his son, he was son wouldn't have disappeared? I'm saying that <laughs> Only in a universe where your son is about to disappear would you ever spring out of the water like a freaking dolphin at SeaWorld and give your son a <laughs> peck on the cheek. Also, what is this what is this what pools are like in DC? Are are pools in DC just overflowing with people? Because there's way too many people in this pool. Where are the lifeguards at, dude? Like 
That his son is definitely not the only kid that disappeared that day. There are so <laughs> many people at that pool. The, the 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 creeps are just walking by, scooping up kids. There's no stopping them. This is an impossible crowd to look through. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm, these are all nitpicks. This is a. I'm kind of doing a bit, but it definitely made me uncomfortable the way that Tom Cruise is like, oh, like my son, you know. Also, uh, this is skipping. This is skipping to the end. I'm I'm ranting. This is skipping to the end, but. I love how at the end they're like, oh, we could just have another kid. <laughs> uh, okay. I know. It's just like, I know that's, that's actually a good point though, because they were so broken up about it that they ended up getting a divorce, right? And then like living separately, even though they still like cared for each other. And then like, well, that's, I guess that's the point, right? It's like Agatha is supposed to be at some sort of Oracle and she's supposed to like give them the closure that they never had, which is like showing what their kid was gonna do or whatever but then like i don't know it, it, it's all very nebulous and everything and and having him kind of linger on that for so long is like is really uncomfortable as a as a viewer but i i don't know it kind of fits into the theme of like the uncomfortable nature of this entire thing well okay so, you just well you just talked about kind of the closure with agatha which i thought was an interesting yeah. an interesting part of the movie where she basically talks about his life except she totally gives him like the 10 peso version of his life where it's just like <laughs> oh now he's 23 all of a sudden having sex with some girl named claire and that's it that's it. his whole life like, he gets married that's his whole life like yeah i mean it's claire's a claire's a praying mantis she rips his head off after after having sex with him <laughs> i mean maybe that's that seems like a viable thing to have happen maybe the woman who invented the precogs also invented the female praying mantis named claire uh yeah. but either way uh it that i i mean did you get something out of that i mean it seemed like it was kind of a moment of uh catharsis for the two of them but at the same time it ends with her being like oh wait none of that happened your kid died by the way yeah like by the way I don't know, like, the whole thing is, like, to bring, they kept bringing it back, you know, it's like, oh, his kid is dead, and then finally you see, oh, his kid disappeared when he wasn't looking or something, and so it's like, he can, he really blames himself and everything, and then having actively kind of, like, linger on it more, and having both of them there crying and everything, it's just so heavy, and it's just like, ugh, like, I get it, like, you know, losing a kid is hard, but, like, I came to the movie to escape this kind of reality, like, I didn't come here to to deal with moldy sandwiches and you know stuff like that so I don't, I don't know i uh the whole agatha as a character really bothered me in general but i agree like the the whole lingering on the kid and then having her with the closure thing just didn't really give me the catharsis i was looking for i guess but it it did enough for the but i was never really on board for the whole like kids missing and like his life is ruined bit either right um well why why did you feel uh uneasy about agatha because she's like she's always like rolling around and screaming and like being very strange and i understand that she's been like locked in this room forever and she's like you know been hooked up to drugs and so she's kind of crazy like i understand that but there's like she has moments of lucidity especially at the end right where she's like oh i have like these um you know i have these visions of what your son was like and everything like i'm also a you know a psychic i guess I, so well okay my uh, biggest question is how much motor function does she have she right. she should be totally atrophied at this point i i was like every time she moved i was like whoa is she gonna die now <laughs> like, i i don't i mean i guess they do move a lot towards the end like even in the water they're like shaking around but 
it seemed to me like uh, after a lifetime of working on, or not a lifetime, six years of sitting in a hot tub, you should be totally m- motionless. Yeah, yeah. So I, th- I don't know. It's it's. I mean, there's a lot of stuff like that in this movie. There's a lot. Of, there's a lot of nitpicks. Yeah, a lot of which I I try to avoid. Um, yeah, it's. I don't know. She she was just never like a real character. You know, they um, you, you kind of find out about her like she was stolen from her mother, I guess. And and she does a lot to kind of help John, but it's never really clear why she's trying to help him, I guess. And it's also like she's, I don't know, there could be more about her backstory, what she was like before she got put into this and like how she really feels about it. Clearly, like it's supposed to be like, oh, this is a horrible thing. But it, they keep like returning to it like, oh, like this is a great honor or like this is really important to our society. We have to have this. But like there's this is horrifying that like they have three people locked up because they have some sort of special ability. Like that's your worst fear is like, oh, I have this thing and now I'm going to be studied by science for the rest of my life and I can't actually have a life. You know, well, is you ever hear that story about that guy who had the hole in his stomach? No, like he's a donut. We're all donuts, technically. Right. Yes. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) But um, no, he had this surgery done where he had this flap on his stomach that you could lift up and reach into his stomach. Mm. And um, this guy like like found out about him and like hired him as like a lab assistant and would do all these experiments on him where they, he would put stuff in his stomach to see how fast it would decay and stuff. Ah, it was dude. crazy. And he got like, he got all sorts of like sick and everything. And he was just, and his family was like, Oh, he's being abused and everything. And like, he's getting paid for this, but it's like not really enough. And he's like, he's some sort of freak. They would go on the show, like onto road shows and people would stare and laugh at him or like be like, Oh wow. Look at this weird guy. Look at the weird experiments this guy's doing. And the guy who's doing the experiments is like, yeah, I'm so great. Look how much of advancing science. And then after he died, they did all this stuff to his body to like, you know, to try and preserve him and stuff. And his family like ended up doing something to like make sure to know he was never found. It was crazy. That sounds like a horrible existence. Yes, so that's that's what the precogs are living with, essentially. Well, yeah, but do the precogs? What is their motivation? That for me, that's what's missing. Did I mean they talk about how they control their um, all the chemicals in their brain so they don't feel pain? They're always like happy or whatever. So, sure. and and he said it's better if we think of them as not human. So yes, did I don't remember them, which is clearly like. Like, like that's a clearly like a suspension of disbelief right to say like it's better to think of them as not human as in they are human you're just choosing not to think of them that way <laughs> well sure it, but so does that itself the fact that they're humans does that make a does that automatically imply that they desire freedom that they don't want to be part of this machine anymore and that they have their own motivations to free themselves. What about the inalienable rights of regular human beings? I'm, we're not talking about being. justice here. We're talking about the motivations of the people in the hot tub. Did they plan this? Because Agatha, if this was her plan, was to escape, then maybe she orchestrated this stuff. Or hmm. maybe they just happened because John happened to be forced to walk into the temple she just, you know, it just happened. She was like, oh, can you see? And that, that led everything else, right? So, I guess. I, I, well, I don't know, because she seemed to be pulling a lot of strings here. Um, and it makes sense that she would want to, since her, you know, imprisonment in the temple seems to be unjust. But does she know yeah, that? But she's not the master of events here either, is she? No, you know? it wouldn't have happened. It had, you know, uh, pre-crime. Lamar. Well, yeah, it hadn't Lamar, but also just the idea of pre-crime going national because before that they it was very no one was allowed in the temple 
Right. Right. So I don't know. I wish that the precogs had been a little bit more had like um had a little bit more autonomy. If they were if they if they got to choose what like if they were trying to free themselves the whole time, then I think that would have added a little bit more cuz as it stands, I mean, tell me if you saw something different. When you see them in the house reading books at the end, I'm like, <laughs> "Okay, <laughs> is this better are they free from their murder uh visions i think well that was the thing that they never really explained either is i think it's like a distance thing like she has to be within a certain vicinity or something they say like at the end okay. that they're they're far away from any like civilization to imply that they don't like have visions anymore well you I can guess. tell that they're they're in the middle of nowhere and i, I- yeah who's bringing them food and stuff yeah who's taking care of them do they even know like do they know how to cook or like, you know, wash clothes? Like, well, they know how know. to grow hair now, at least. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know. I don't want to get stuck in the asking too many questions because obviously the answers aren't all there. But um, I, I feel like there's something missing with the precogs that could have made them more meaningful. Yeah, I agree. So a couple of other future tech things I wanted to talk about that I thought were interesting. We already talked about the sick sticks, which I think is great. Uh, the idea of just being able to prod somebody instead of electrocuting them or something like that. It just makes them throw up. That's, that's so awful. It's, that's great. I feel like that would be uh, more humane than electrocuting people. Like make them throw up and then, uh, well, as long as the, that's it. I don't know what else the sick stick does to you. Like, what if it- How do you think it makes them throw up, though? probably electrocutes a certain gland in their in their throats well hopefully that's it right instead of just shocking them completely i don't know i've never been tasered so i don't know i just like it okay let me like things okay (laughs) (laughs) um all right but also the autonomous traffic and i thought they did autonomous traffic very well in this movie especially when uh, john is headed in one direction but then he gets id'd and the car is sending him in the other he seamlessly transitions in the opposite direction through traffic. And that's something that I've heard will be possible if we commit to totally autonomous traffic. So, you know, it's a minor part of this film, but still pretty cool. Future It's pretty cool. Especially since like that's become such a big thing now is like, um, you know, self-driving cars. So having this movie kind of just use that as a, a standard piece of the environment is awesome. It is, but not all traffic is autonomous, which I thought That's was interesting because right. he's definitely driving his his freaking future Lexus, Lexus around. We'll get to the ads here in just a moment. Um, okay. A couple other, <laughs> another thing I thought was interesting was the the aptly named spiders that were released. Aren't they great? <laughs> that were released into like the Section Eight housing or whatever that he was hiding in during his eye surgery. That was yeah, it's clever, very good, uh, but. The way that those spiders, or rather, the way that the civilians reacted to the spiders was horrifying to me. I mean, the kids who had to be, like, told to calm down, let them do this, that's, like, the natural reaction. That's what somebody from, you know, real life would do. But to see the way that everyone else just submitted was truly terrifying like the couple who are arguing with each other and it's like very heated argument and as soon as they notice the spiders they stop let the spiders scan them and then go right back to it like nothing happened and the guy who's sitting there taking a crap he, he doesn't even like flinch he's just sitting there and lets the spider <laughs> crawl all over him that is like an i think that the police overreach ex- extends beyond pre-crime there's more to it than just 
pre-crime. Yeah, it's a total surveillance state. I mean, they have all those those things that can ID people in, in any place, right? He goes outside at all, and there's things that can see him, um, which I really liked that whole like advertise, like, targeted advertising stuff. That was really cool. Oh, it was so um, annoying. Yeah, <laughs> right? Like constantly calling on your name. It's like, hey, hey. Hey, dude, they were so don't you want to buy more tank tops? Exactly. But they were so right. If you ever I mean, yes, you obviously have. So have I and everyone has bought something online and then seen too many ads for it elsewhere. Yes. Like I, yes. I, um, I have a friend who actually he's been on the podcast. Uh, Anthony is a Buccaneers fan, a uh, friend of the podcast. He was on our Avengers Infinity War episode. He's a big Buccaneers fan, and I've bought him a few different things that are Buccaneers, uh, you know, merchandise for like birthdays, Christmas, whatever. And I still get ads that are like, ooh, discount Jameis Winston jersey, Buccaneers quarterback jersey for for me. And I'm not yeah. a Buccaneers fan. But because I bought that you know, once or twice, suddenly they're like, hey, Benjamin, remember when you bought this? Don't you want to buy more? And <laughs> I think they got that spot on in this, in this movie. I mean, it's not exactly the same. We're not getting that necessarily at the mall, but we're certainly getting it when we're shopping. Yeah, that's definitely true. I, I think, I don't know, I don't like it at all, obviously. I think it's really, like, invasive. But it is a clever bit that they have in this movie. Um, to have them, like, constantly being ID'd and having advertisers use that to their, to their advantage to be even more targeted. Yeah, well, um, and they have, like, the, the people recorded and they, like, say, like, oh, hey, good to see you again. Are you here for blank? Yeah, exactly. That's what you got last time. It's, uh, well, let's just talk about the ads right now. Because I think this movie does basically the same thing that uh idiocracy does where they they try to get they double dip they try to get the best of both they're criticizing advertising for being too invasive by putting these ridiculous oh you bought the tank top how about buying another tank top you know and uh, like to the point where it's just it's overwhelming but they're doing it all with real companies real advertisements so they're actually advertising to you the viewer yeah but there's also other moments where they don't like it's not part of that double dip you know i think you're right that they do that for some things but like the lexus that giant aquafina oh um, yeah billboard that's like that they lingered on for like maybe 30 seconds um there's a there's a whole bunch of stuff in there that's like oh i'm glad that's still around there's a whole joke about radio shack which doesn't really age well but that was pretty funny <laughs> well that's the thing like that's even worse than double dipping because in this case they're only dipping in the side yeah. that gets them more money Yes, it's total. It's blatant product placement, which is frustrating, and uh, yes. it's a bad look. It's a bad look, Steve, Steve Spielberg. It really is. Um, so I did not love it. I put that in the exact same bucket as uh, Idiocracy, or even worse, because Idiocracy at least is under the guise of parody and right. trying to insult. They're trying them. to. Tr they're trying sort of. Right, but anyways, didn't appreciate that. Uh, Rufus T. Riley. I wish we got to see a little bit more of this guy, the virtual reality man, uh, where yeah. they showed up and he was like, kind of, you got to a little peek into the world of virtual reality, which I thought was cool. Um, I don't necessarily think it's a novel idea, but I applaud them for, you know, staying on, on theme and giving us a, a quick view of somebody having virtual reality sex. Like we're, they're not hiding it. I was like, yeah, obviously this is what people are going to do in here. Yeah. No, I, I, I think that's also a very prescient thing that this movie um, tackles. I think virtual reality is going to take over um, like, a, like in a big way. I think there's a lot of people that are going to plug in and then try not to, not, not to unplug from there. Did you watch that video on YouTube where the guy spends a week in virtual reality? No. It was crazy. 
He literally spends like all day in his, he spends a whole week in his house plugged into his virtual reality like stuff. He has like two different headsets um, and he, they have like, they're like the augmented ones so you can see through them so you can still like move around the house and cook and stuff. But um, he's like constantly online. He's like, he wears it while he's sleeping. He wears it while he's in the shower. Oh my gosh. It's crazy. Wait, how does he wear and it in the like, shower? He has like a, some sort of rig where he like hooks it up so it's like, like, you have to watch it. It's okay. like some plastic thing he puts over it so that it doesn't get wet. Um, and I guess his head doesn't really get wet either, so he doesn't wash his hair for a week. It's for it's for science. <laughs> it's for science. But it, like his conclusion, and I agree from, from what he showed us, is like it's totally possible. And like given if you were able to disconnect from the wall and make it like a, a thing that you could walk around with, people are gonna do this. Like they're just going to because there's there's so much stuff out there right now that can occupy your time constantly. So, well, this is a great yeah. segue into the next thing I want to talk about, which is virtual reality prison, the halos. And, yeah. and I don't know, maybe I missed it, but I wish they kind of went into more detail as to what's going on while you're in prison. Because first off, the when they first reveal what prison is, was I thought was awesome. I thought the special effects there held up. What did you think? Yeah, I did too. I I mean, it's real. I was more focused on the Sentry, who was like super super weird. Oh, I love him. Who's he? Who's the actor? It's um Tim Blake Nelson from yes, uh, he from uh, a brother Rathau. Rathau. and he was perfect to play Gideon the Sentry because he's like it's like his collection, you know. He's yeah, he's super creepy. <laughs> but the idea of having a prison where you just put people in these like columns, they, they don't even have to have space because they exist in some sort of virtual reality. Yeah, once their when their legs get tired. Well, <laughs> I don't think they feel anything. You know, it's it's a lot like the Matrix where you just plug yeah, in. But you need energy to stand. Are they uh, standing or are they just like placed there? Because it looks like they're How... bo- they're bound to the to the thing. Yeah, but like, uh, wouldn't that be apt? So, well, are you, so your argument is that they should be horizontal. Yes, <laughs> that's way safer. Um, yeah, when I first saw this movie, I thought they were in like stasis. Me too. Where they were, where like they can't experience time, which I thought was like totally stupid given the premise of this movie where you lock up people that are about to commit a crime and never get the satisfaction of actually going through with it, lock them into stasis so that when they wake up, they're just as angry as they were when they came up and <laughs> down there. You know? Well, it made it seem at first like they spend eternity watching the precognition of their murder, which sounds yes. like a pretty awful existence. Yeah, so that's what I got from the second time is that they're actually awake, they're just not conscious. They're like they're like dreaming, yes. and they're shown specific images of their life. I guess the pregogs stuff. So, well, you, you can oh. see it flashing in in front of them. Well, because he's he's trying to look for the yeah, guy yeah, yeah. who killed Anne Lively, and you see right. those those you see them so many times throughout the movie. But those images of the of the drowning. So it was I don't know. It was an interesting thing, especially the aesthetic. I liked a lot because they're all wearing halos kind of uh you know like they're angels yeah kind of like they're angels but they're definitely in hell it was a uh Mm. interesting way to portray this future prison right well the other thing that's going on with them is like that they don't get a trial right they're just locked up well because as soon as they find them they put that thing on them and then that's it you know like they don't get a chance to defend themselves or anything and that's mostly because they know that they were going to do it so it's kind of like beyond that point and they have like the judge and the um and, a det- and like the DA, I guess, that are there as rubber stamps to like say, oh, this is good now. You know, like we, we can just uh, arrest this guy and lock him up forever and don't have to do anything about it. 
it's because the precogs are perfect. They, you know, they're never yep, wrong. They never mistake. Sometimes they disagree, though. <laughs> well, okay. What about the the greenhouse woman? To me, ah. to me, she seemed like what a weird moment in this movie. Yeah, right. Like, like it totally takes you outside of everything. We kind of spilled into Harry Potter for a moment there with like the plants <laughs> that are alive. You know. <laughs> Yeah, it was. It felt so weird. Like he was dying. He was about to die from the vines that were al- definitely alive, which I yeah. guess isn't totally. You know, it's you could make the argument. It's like, well, it's kind of like Venus flytraps. You know, they, they can move, but there are moving. There are plants that can move besides Venus flytraps. There are ones that can react to touch. Like if you touch them, they like curl up because they're trying to because they're afraid. And they've done experiments with, experiments with them to see if they can learn things. But are there vines uh, that reach out and grab you, like the ones he had to climb through? No, but she was like a, supposed to be some sort of you know great um, geneticist or something. So she clearly had designed all these plants to be like her guard plants, um, which is like, yeah, I don't know. That whole thing was so weird, and she was so weird. And I don't know. I guess that's kind of another gross part of this movie. But I, again, I kind of wish they had been a little bit more on the genetic side of things, you know, to talk about the precogs and where they came from and like how their brains were different or, and if you could make more, right? Because right. if, if they were just like, I didn't see what the moral implication of them trying to get more of them would be, right? If they had more of them, then they could take a break, right? Oh yeah. Or try to, you know, improve the system. But what it seemed or like- put them every, put them everywhere, yeah. You know, well, it just seemed like they kind of like stumbled upon these people like, ooh, Oops! Like now we now yeah, we yeah, can yeah. predict crime. While they were trying to while they were trying to you know, like cure some kids of like some birth defects or whatever, right? Right. right. From their ki- their parents being um, neuroin addicts. Yes. Clever name for a drug. Wait. N- um, n- well, it's supposed to be like heroin, but like like nerves or like n- neurotic, no. like in your brain. Maybe. Is that? I don't. Yes. Something something nerve or brain related. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sure. I don't know. <laughs> whatever. It's a good name. It's a good name for a drug. I like it. Yeah. Um, they. If she like they were trying to improve the lives of these kids, and none of them were living past twelve, and the only ones that did were the precogs, and that's because like they had these crazy visions when they were kids and everything, and made them hard to survive or whatever. They were unstable, but if they had succeeded with these three, they could have done more, you know, and then they would have more precogs, and that would be better for the society that they had built around the precogs. So. Didn't understand why she was not doing more of that and why she was in the greenhouse making weird plants. Right. Especially because the information she gave John was basically useless. She's like, go find the minority report. It doesn't exist. Yeah, okay. Can we talk about the minority report and how it's like a total red <laughs> Can we finally talk about the minority report in our episode Where about the minority, minority report? <laughs> Do I even have one? <laughs> yes, let's talk about it. <laughs> okay, so the minority report in this movie, just so I want to be clear, is a... It's like a minority decision among the judges that are the precogs, right? Yes, yes. Right. The, it, the two of them think one thing happened. The other one says, no, something else happened. And it can only ever be in that like situation, right? Because they all three have the same visions. So the minority report is like a different alternative future to what could have happened. And they automatically delete those because they don't want to introduce uncertainty into the precog system the system is infallible yes but the the minority reports are saved within the brains of the precogs because their brains work like computers apparently and you can just download their memories definitely apparently yep definitely apparently so 
Tom Cruise thinks that he has a minority report because he's certain he's not going to kill this man, Leo Crow. So he thinks there must be an alternative future and it must be in Agatha because she is the strongest of the three or whatever that means. And they, uh, so he has to kidnap her and download stuff from her brain. But it turns out that, that she, he doesn't have a minority report and he was definitely going to kill Leo Bloom or whatever his name is, um, despite his certainty that he's not going to. Um, and he totally sets himself up for that. Whatever. We can talk about Leo Bloom, Bloom, Leo Crow in a second. But, like, I, it turns out that, that he was chasing nothing. And there was no Minority Report. Why is this movie called Minority Report? <laughs> uh, it's a total red herring, I guess. It's, um, yeah, I don't know. Let's, let's table this for a moment. We have, we're about to get into quotes and we can get back into the whole Minority Report and why this movie is called that. Um, which, uh, what you know what? Let's get into it right now. Let's move on to quotes. Okay. I've got the first one. The precogs can see a murder four days out. Why the late call? Well, we call it a red ball. The crimes of passion is no premeditation, so they show up late. Most of our scrambles are flash events like this one. We rarely see anything with premeditation anymore. People have gotten the message. Uh-huh. So yeah, this is when Danny is touring the facilities, the uh, pre-crime facilities for the first time, and they're kind of explaining to him what's going on as a ball arrives and uh i think this is interesting it's uh it's the power of pre-crime it's the power it's it's the ideal outcome is that people just decide not to do crime anymore because they're like i'm gonna get caught even if i if i even plan this out i'm doomed so i might as well not which i think is powerful it's a very compelling argument for pre-crime right but it only works for murder because the precarks can see murders because they have they disrupt the like metaphysical binding that binds us all together, which is kind of interesting to like kind of dive into, but they don't really move past that. Um, and yeah, so like, so anything that's like premeditated is going to be caught in, it's going to be captured days beforehand. Anything that's a crime of passion will be caught, you know, minutes beforehand, but still everything is caught. It's pretty amazing. Um, and it is amazing that they actually catch people, especially given how close that first, close, much of a close call that first one was that you see in the movie. So, yeah, there's a lot of stuff that, like, I don't know, that, that makes pre-crime kind of cool. and makes this, like, this idea very attractive. For me, it's just a really compelling argument for pre-crime, which is, I think, right. is important to keep that you know, that uh, moral dilemma alive to help to let the viewer decide what they think between is it right or wrong so sure i like that quote uh next one it's like my daddy used to say in the land of the blind the one-eyed man is king yeah with this guy the blind guy selling tom cruise drugs uh is i lo- i like this quote and i thought it was going to come full circle because the spider scene which was super which was super tense i like that scene a lot and the spiders show up and they go to scan his eye but it's too early six hours too early to be exact and they freaking flash a light right into his eyeballs bro he should be blind in that eye and then he should only have one eye for the rest of the movie but he's the only one who can see what's really happening how how is this missed you are so good (laughs) that's a great (laughs) idea why didn't that happen I have no idea. I thought this was perfect Tom setup. Tom Cruise wears an eye patch in Valkyrie. He has nothing against eye patches. 
Yeah, he would he would have looked that much more badass, uh, yeah. especially because he already looked so strange with someone else's eyeballs in. I liked how they did that. That's cool, wasn't it? But he should have only had one because one of them definitely got roasted uh, yeah. by the spider. So I was really surprised that that didn't come back. Uh, do you, I mean, do you see any meaning uh, inside of this in the land of the blind, the one-eyed king, man is king? Sure. Do you want to skip to my next quote? Or, sure. Or skip down a little bit. Remember the eyes. <coughs> the eyes of the nation are on us right now. This is um this is a quote from I guess uh, it's Lamar right and he says he's talking about how everyone's looking at them because they're gonna launch this national pre crime initiative, um and the uh, like the eyes are this big motif in this movie um, clearly from this one eyed uh, quote about the one eyed king um and also you know the eye identification which is a clever use of the word eye you know eye denting I guess that's what they call it when someone yeah uh scans their eye and they can yeah, see yeah eye denting right what they look like or who they are um and of course every door he walks through and every like building he tries to get access to he has to use the eyes and everything so the the eyes of the nation looking on and there um kind of visualize that like we are uh, looking in on our on our society by using eyes to scan people's eyes, but so are the eyes of the entire country looking at us who are doing those things. So it's kind of this nice cascade of eyes watching each other, which is kind of what you want from a crime system, right? You're trying to want you want everybody watching everybody else, um, and that's what kind of the promise of pre-crime is. And of course, you need to do that. You have to have eyes, but. There's also, because he switched his eyes with someone else, it kind of proves that this system does have its flaws. Is people who are super dedicated to something could get around it by, you know, having their eyes switched and they don't have any other way of identifying people. So it's pretty cool. Yeah, I liked the whole, the, how important eyes were throughout this movie, um, and including the another gross out uh, portion of it. When his, he goes to get his eyes out of the bag, which is such a like, I'm a klutz in a movie scene where he's like, actually, oops, yeah, and they like, like roll is away. Is that supposed to be funny? Because that's so freaking gross. <laughs> <laughs> and they're bouncing and rolling down this hallway that is sloped toward a drain in like the hevel, <laughs> the great, it's like eyeball size and he yeah. grabs one by like the stem or whatever. I, How my is favorite... it rolling so well if it had that stuff on the end? Yeah, my favorite part was when the uh, Benny Hill theme music kicked in. And he's like, running after his eyeball that in the jetpack scene both of those could have had Benny Hill music and they yes. would have fit perfectly <laughs> and then he grabs it by like the the, the tendril yeah the tendril <laughs> <laughs> yes and um that reminded me uh do you ever play Activision <laughs> video games like yes years ago eyeball. yes 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 they had the eyeball that kind of like squirms around and then gets pierced by a nail and just like oh dude I'm eight, you know, like, don't show me an eyeball getting pierced by a nail. Gross. Um, and this was a little bit like that. I was like, okay, great. Eyeball sick out humor. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> but, that was definitely needed. But it, uh, the, the, uh, you know, it does fit in this movie that has a lot of eyeball references. in it. Right. Yeah. Well, I think that's as far as it goes really is like, um, the eyes as you know being used as surveillance equipment um, but it, I guess it, I would have liked to see more like of the eyes being fallible you know misseeing something or something like that but you know they're they really seem to work pretty well so hey man the eyes have it all right <laughs> <laughs> we're done with this all right I think you got the next one Joey 
Sean. Hi, Daddy. Can you teach me how to run faster? Because all the kids at my class run faster than me. No. This is when Sean is in his recording talking to his dad about running. Um, and then, of course, you learn from Agatha and her premonitions that he loves to run. And he's running when he's in college and high school. And just like his dad, he's super fast. Yeah. I like this because it references Tom Cruise running. Um, and I like that as a thing in a movie. And I can't explain why. He's just really good at it. And it's just really satisfying to watch him run. And in every movie he runs. And it's always amazing. Because somehow they work it into the plot that, oh, he's going to run. And sometimes you just know he's going to do it. When at the very beginning when he's like looking around. He's like, which house is it? Which house is it? You know, he could have been on the other side of the street looking at the house. But no, he has to run across the street. And you're just seeing him gearing up like, yeah, he's going to run in there. He's going to save the day. Yeah, go Tom Cruise. Use your superpower running. Yes. <laughs> I love, I lo yeah, I love that scene too because he shows up and there's like six houses that look exactly the same or whatever. But like, and Tom Cruise, the only one who cares, he's got like a bunch of idle cops behind him just like standing <laughs> around, you know? Hey, how about we split up? <laughs> like, I don't yeah. know. They have those helicopters and everything, but they're all useless. Yeah. And, or, then they, and then they bust through the window and everything, even though he's already in the room and have stopped the crime. Like, we're just here to make a mess. <laughs> right. So much glass. That's what I was thinking. Like, they're tossing these civilians around, people who are barely wearing any clothing, getting yeah. dragged through the glass. Like, okay. These are all nitpicks, obviously, but... Uh, just say, I do like how they doubled down on the Tom Cruise running meme yes. because like that must be why he loves his son so much because he runs. Yes. I was going to teach him how to run. Didn't you know? <laughs> so much opportunity. So much um, potential lost. But it's not the future if you stop. Isn't that a fundamental paradox? Yes, it is. You're talking about predetermination, which happens all the time. Why'd you catch that? Because it was going to fall. You're certain? Yeah. But it didn't fall. You caught it. The fact that you prevented it from happening doesn't change the fact that it was going to happen. This is a, a great example of some of the dialogue in this movie. Um, and they talk about some of the predetermination and the implications of being able to see the future. Um, and clearly, this movie is meant to be some sort of dynamic timeline. In that, like, they can change the past or the present, and then that will affect the future directly. Um, even though a lot of the things they do seem to end up, because they can see the future, they try to prevent it, but it still ends up happening anyway. That doesn't necessarily mean they can't change how the future plays out. Because even you see Lamar, right? Lamar doesn't kill um, Tom Cruise at the end, and then Tom Cruise kills Leo Bloom, or sorry, Leo Crow. Leo Bloom is the character from the producers. That's why I keep referencing him. <laughs> uh, he he uh, he kills Leo Crow, uh, but only and it's, it, it happens differently than how the precogs um, predicted it, right? They don't have all that extra dialogue in there, so it doesn't um, it doesn't occur exactly as they predicted. So there's some fallibility in that system um, because uh, they can actually affect the future and they can change the future. Um, and we'll talk about that a little bit more later. But I do like this little scene here where he's trying to prove to him that what they're doing is working and that it is necessary because even though they are changing the future, right? They're seeing a murder. They're stopping the murder from happening. They can, just like gravity, those murders are going to happen anyway. I, I totally agree. I think this is a great, another great argument for pre-crime, uh, which, again, just for me, it makes it, which is why it's so disappointing in the end that they're so certain on what the correct decision is, because yes. I think there's more to it than that. I think there's plenty of people who are like, whoa, 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 whoa. 
we still stopped a whole lot of murders. Like, why, why are we just totally throwing this away? Like, yeah. you know, I mean, whether you agree with that or not, I kind of wish that we had a more equal argument towards the end here, uh, because at the beginning we had such great arguments like this. Yes. Uh, so, yeah. Yeah. I, I, I mean, a lot of my quotes, most of my quotes happen in like before the first half of this movie. Um, and then after that, there's just not as much like, adherence to that there's a lot more just kind of raw action and like weird suspense and stuff there isn't as much philosophical dealings um and i would wish they adhered more to that they'll get me there i'm not gonna get haloed you can't run joe everybody runs this is a like a kind of clever idea or a clever use of the predetermination aspect of this movie in that like uh it just like i referenced in the last quote where the ball was definitely going to fall everybody always runs and you can count on it as being some sort of something certain something that you can try to try to prevent but people are going to try and do anyway is that well you're saying just like people when they get caught they try to run or is this tom cruise's like vision for the world it's like what if everyone ran <laughs> that'd be perfect you know i was going for the for the former but you've changed my mind to the latter so <laughs> Um, yeah, I, I like this uh, like little quote here, and it is the, one of the taglines in this movie is "Everybody runs," um, which I had, I didn't know until later on. Um, there's also this movie, this uh, video game actually that came out in 2002 called uh, Minority Report: Everybody Runs, which was like a beat 'em up video game. So PlayStation Two. Yep. Nice. Yep, yep. All right, next quote. Where's my Minority Report? Do I even have one? Do I have one? All right, so this is when they're visiting our man uh, Fletcher T. Fletch. What's his name? That's wrong. Rufus T. <laughs> Riley. <laughs> Rufus T. Riley. So they can uh, see into, they have like to the technology there so they can see Agatha's. We have the technology. Pre yes, precognition. We can rebuild it. And she is showing them everything she's got and it's not enough he, he's expecting to find a minority report in there and he runs up and it's like where's my minority report and i just i love this line because it's the oh that's the movie line you know <laughs> <laughs> and it's such a big red herring that's really what i want to get to here is that the minority report is nothing it, and in the end i mean it helps to push the plot forward at one point but in, in the end it, we find out it's not even real uh, and it's totally it's totally there to throw you off completely which i think is kind of ambitious to name your movie after the red herring in the movie yeah i don't know like minority report is kind of like a catchy title but like it's definitely not accurate to what's going on it, it, you're right it's kind of this macguffin where it's like oh everything's revolving around this minority report if i can just get their minority report but then it turns out that there wasn't ever a minority report to begin with and you never even see an example of a minority report so i don't know well although okay whoa, whoa, whoa. there's one more thing though because they end up deleting that one thing thinking it's a minority report but it turns out to be a separate crime altogether that's right which is so, a cool twist i i really did like the way that they turned the echoes into a flaw in the system. And I thought yes. that was well set up. That one, it wasn't confusing at all when they explained that. So I thought that was really cool. Um, but as a person who, this is my first time seeing Minority Report, uh, I actually recognize it because Futurama did an episode about Minority Report. So I oh, kind really? of, I recognize the concept. But the, like, um, I, I always joked, I talked about this a lot at the end of the last episode, but I always joked uh, whenever I was in like a, 
you know, growing up and I was in class with a bunch of other like Caucasian kids and I would get put in like a group with other, you know, minority kids, I would always crack wise with them be like, hey, what is this? The minority report? And when you're with people who have never seen this movie, they're like, ah, good one, you know? And uh, now I know that that's totally not the point of the movie, but it turns out it really, it's the minority, whatever minority report really is, isn't the point of the movie either. So was no, that really that far no off? minorities in this movie. Oh, good. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. No, there is. There's that one woman walking through the mall who Agatha grabs and just like, he knows, don't go home. And there's another woman who, who recognizes John Anderton in the mall. And there's Jad, the guy who has that thing growing out of his ear. What? <laughs> he has that like little robot, like, he has it like a, what's it called? Like a headset. And it's like a little tiny screen that you can see, like it's out of the corner of his eye. It looks like it's going Oh, right, head. right, right. Wait, is he the guy who helps in the in the pre-crime place? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I like that Jack. guy. I like that guy, except he totally fell for the oldest trick in the book, which is the, hey, go get me some cake. Like, <laughs> <laughs> the classic, hey, go get me some cake trick, dude. That's that's the first, that's on page one of the book of tricks. Well, that's, that's, that's disappointing, because I've definitely fallen for that trick. <laughs> well, I love, like... I don't know. I thought that was kind of weak writing because they're having another crime roll in and he's like, I'll get this one, Chief. And he like reaches for it and then he doesn't suspect anything when Chief is like, no, go get me some cake. You know, like, <laughs> okay, dude. <laughs> yeah, but also like that, that woman on the, on the screen, whatever, the detective or the DA or whoever she is, she like sees John's face on the screen and she's like, what does this mean, John? What am I looking at? And he's just like, nope, turns, turns her off. Okay, so actually, I'm glad you brought them up. Those two people are like the judge and the jury, right? Basically, they're like yeah, the, yeah. the expedited legal system, which I thought I was so. amazing. Like that's like so, that's so cold and un and unthinking. They're just like, we will witness this with you, and we agree you can go lock these people up. Go get right. them. They say, yeah. uh, which I that's another part of this future. I'm like, Ugh. you still have a choice. The others never saw that future. You still have a choice. <laughs> so this is, again, pointing toward this movie being in a dynamic timeline. Um, uh, I mean, whenever they stop a crime, it's it's, it's changing the future. But also right here, um, Agatha says, because you can see your future, because you can see your path, you have the ability to change it. Um, and I really do like, I believe in that message um, personally, but I also like this in this movie too. Um, and she does everything she can to try and stop him and try and save him. Um, and he listens to her up until the crucial moment when she, he has to go, where he goes into the room and discovers that Leo Crow is the man behind all of it, behind the, the, the capture of his son, but also not really. Yeah, definitely not really because he still points the gun at him and lets him shoot himself. Yes, but also like Leo Crow really screwed that up for himself, right? He was going in there with the intention of being killed and he totally blows it at the end where he explains that he's not, that he's like, oh, you have to kill me and this is why, yeah. you know? It's like, <laughs> just just carry on with the bit and be like, yeah, I'm a bad person. Why would you admit that you, like, why would you explain to him that you don't, that you need to die, right? And that you're actually not the guy like if your if your intention is to die, then just carry on until you're dead, you know. Just keep lying. Yep, he is. Uh, it was so confusing though, because like, you're not going to kill me, like, you know. <laughs> yeah, like, and it's like, wait, you're not the guy that stole the kid, and but like, 
Also, you have all these pictures of a kid. Well, they're yeah. Photoshop, dude. If the the future at this point, I think Photoshop Deep would probably fake be Sean. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I I like this quote too because it's the like, if you see your future, you can change it. I like that idea, and that that's something that I get from this movie that definitely resonates with me. Right, and that's like the opposite of what pre-crime like pitches in this movie, right? Is that like the future is set. Um, but in fact, every time they change the future, every time they stop a crime, they're changing the future. So the future is not set. So Okay, well, we're getting into some hefty topics here towards the end of our quotes. So Joey, I think you know what time it is. It is time for us to go a little deeper, deeper, deeper. All right, so the real question is, which you come away from this movie asking is, does pre-crime exist right now? And who's doing it? And how are they doing it? There are some examples. If you look up predictive policing, they're using all sorts of big data, um, computer stuff, AI, uh, giant algorithms to predict when people or if people are likely to um, commit crimes. There's a couple different systems, one in Germany and one in France um, that basically act as extended prison sentences that's the way of understanding it um in what, what happens is a person is released after a set of time that they've been sentenced to and then they're continued to be observed or like put under some sort of security detention whether that's like a house arrest or they're just continued to be uh had to check in for like parole things or or, or something more invasive where like they're actually still in some sort of detention um and this happens after they've been released, after they serve their time, because they've been determined to be still a threat to society. The, the, the prison has not reformed them, I guess is the idea. So it's it's kind of an example of some of like trying to prevent reoffenders, I guess. These people, we've already caught them. We should keep them under surveillance. Um, and so they are the most likely to commit crimes. So we're going to, you know, keep them under wraps essentially. Well, yeah, that's what uh, happens at the end of this one, right? When they release everyone from their halos, but they right. are still keeping an eye on them. Yeah. But also like some of the people are definitely going to murder people. So I, you know, saying hitting the, the big red button that says release all prisoners is definitely not a solution that makes sense, but whatever. I can't imagine being Gideon. Now what's he going to do? I don't know. Maybe some other collection. My, my flock. <laughs> <laughs> start collecting eyeballs <laughs> but is this happening in the u.s the answer is yes obviously it's happening in the u.s um chicago has something called a heat list or what they like to call a strategic subject list it's essentially a social credit system they give uh, anyone who is flagged in their system a score from one to four hundred based on whether they're going to commit crimes or not and this could be anyone. It doesn't necessarily mean you have to be um, arrested for crime. If you're investigated, if you're a witness, you are put on this list. If you're found smoking on a corner somewhere, they'll put you on this list and give you a score. What happens if you keep it 100? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. That's like, how you, you get I, off the list. They're like, I didn't look. This guy um, has been keeping it 100 for years. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I feel like 100 on that, on that list can't be good. You don't be zero. Zero, man. <laughs> right. It's. I mean, ninety nine is probably bad. One hundred and one is probably. It's even worse. Right. In Chicago, if you're keeping it one hundred, I'm just saying. I think there's there's more to explore there, but I don't mean to derail you. Okay, I don't understand that joke. <laughs> <laughs> but the um, okay, the the 
the social credit system, like, I don't know how much is being used. I didn't look super far into this, but I'm assuming that they're using this to simply aid in like usual suspects. They're saying, oh, these people are connected to these people. Therefore, and you know, something happened with these people. Therefore, we're going to look at them first. But I think there's a potential for this to be used to say, hey, this person is number one on our list. If we just arrested them right now, we would solve, you know, some of our problems. You know, I, I'm sure for crime, it works the same way with everything else. 80% of the crimes are done by 20% of the criminals. If you take apart you take 20% off the top of the list, you reduce your crime rate by 80%. Like, you know, that's that's some, something you could take straight to the bank. But again, like, you have to arrest them for something that they've done, not something they're going to do, right? right. Because where's the morality in that? How do you know these people aren't turning their life around? How do you know that your algorithm isn't biased? Because the thing is about the Chicago heat list thing, it is biased. It's racially biased, just like because humans are racially biased. So... Yeah, not a good thing. That's okay. That's what I was gonna say. When you're bringing up like algorithms that predict crimes, what I've heard, and I haven't looked into this very closely, but what I've heard is it's basically if you're black, you did it. Well, that's the thing that they've been doing, right? And actually, there's these new algorithms out there that that some of them use police data, some of them just use personal data. Like they'll find stuff that they can find online, like through Facebook and stuff. Another reason not to use Facebook. Um, some of them just use geographical data, say, oh, a crime may be committed in this area, and these are the people that live here. And there's other things that use more. Um, some of them are totally separate from each other, right? Like, some of them don't use police data, they only use geographical data, and some of them use personal data, but don't use anything else. So, they're, they're like, some of these are built by private companies and are used by police forces to help them, um, you know, catch criminals. But what they what these things are now are are attempting to subvert the whole racial bias that's been in uh, present in like policing forever um because it, you're right in the past like the the theory has always been let's go to the, let's try and catch some criminals let's go to the cr the neighborhoods where the most crime is committed let's check our records where is the neighborhoods where the crime is most committed oh that's where we check always because we're because confirmation bias is a real thing and we don't check good neighborhoods because why would we when we can check the bad neighborhoods, which we've already determined are bad? It's a, it's a catch-22. It's a total recurrence cycle. And these algorithms are an attempt to break that in some way. So in some ways, I find that kind of noble, but how far does it go, right? How far are you going to take it until someone is arrested for something that they didn't commit? And there's a great example of this, and that is terrorism. In the UK, there is a special law that says, um, okay, this is I, this question was I found online. So how long can you be held in custody in, in the UK? The police can hold you. I'm quoting from this article uh, from gov.uk. The police can hold you for up to 24 hours before they ha have to charge you with a crime or release you. They can apply and hold for up to 36 or 96 hours if you're suspe suspected of a serious crime like murder. You can be held without charge for up to 14 days if you're arrested under the Terrorism Act. Wow. Yes. So you don't have to be committed. You don't have to be, uh, uh, you don't have to commit a crime. You just have to be suspected of terrorism and they can hold you for 14 days, which is, um, you may recognize like seven times longer than if you went to, if you were suspected of murder, right? Like, <laughs> wow. Does that really make sense? No. Um, but that, it makes course, sense that that exists actually, because we've seen yeah. it many times. People get really afraid of terrorism and they're willing to give up a lot of their freedoms for it. 
to yes. just to and, prevent it rather right and, and of course like Gu guantanamo bay is a great example of that too there's all these rumors about people being held there um without being committed about being um arrested for any specific crime without being uh convicted of a crime um and they're just suspected of things and there's a few people in there that like yeah like they did commit a crime they did commit some act of terrorism and and like they belong there and there's other people that like have sued the government sued guantanamo bay because they have never been convicted and they're just locked in there because people are afraid that they're gonna they have some some sort of tie to something else so yeah it happens especially if some people like there's a reason behind it like terrorism people are terrified of terror even though like you're way more likely to be killed by um like your car or like a heart disease or your husband than you are by a terrorist but and that doesn't matter. It's it's the thing that that scares people. It's the thing that people are it's covered in the media the most, and therefore, you know, the government has a lot of leeway about what they can do to suspected terrorists. Yeah, it's terrifying. It's it's one of the things again that I wish this movie left more ambiguous is what how much is too far. Yes, especially when we, we do see these big data analytics things where you can even say we can predict this, but can you right. really? But really, can you? That's the thing. And I and as AI gets better and better, um, we're gonna run across this problem all the time. Where it's like, there's a 99% chance this person's gonna commit this murder, but they didn't. But if they if we let them, then this person dies. Like that's that's such a moral dilemma, right? But like that person, there's no crime, right? There's if that person if you arrest that person before they actually commit that murder, then it's like, oh. You got nothing. You know, I wasn't planning on doing a murder. I, 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 you know, you guys, you guys are just making stuff up. You, the, your algorithm is, is, is flawed. There's some sort of a mistake or bias in it. You know, you guys are out to get me. Um, the person who designed it is my enemy or something. You know, there's so many different things. You have such a shaky stance on, on that. that it would never hold up to scrutiny. Um, and yet, and yet, I don't think that's enough for people to stop it from, happening that's what i'm that's what i'm getting at is that even though they could arrest people for off of the most tenuous evidence without like public scrutiny they will get away with that for sure yeah no and continue to get away with it well sure because oh they got the terrorists i don't care you know good right well they said they got the terrorists right exactly and that's all i care about i'm not a terrorist so what am i worried about you know exactly um this actually kind of uh I don't know. This is similar to something that I, I heard about recently was like, have you, has anyone ever said that like you're a nice guy or like, I don't know. A lot of people tell me I'm like a nice person and I try not to let that like get too big in my head because <laughs> you're only, when someone says that you're a nice person, you were a nice person. It means nothing about your future. It's, it's nothing. You can go and tomorrow just be a completely bad person and nothing's going to stop you from doing that. And the same thing can be reversed or it can be like the inverse is just because you've lived a life of doing things that lead people to to terrorism or that other terrorists have done in their past does not ensure the certainty of terrorism in the future. It's an unfair assumption to come to even if you have data that backs it up until it happens. And this is honestly, I guess, where I land on the whole is pre-crime worthy of being a actual, like actually being implemented if we had the technology, um, is that until it has happened, it hasn't happened yet. Yeah, exactly. And that's the thing that we need to focus on is like, is when we're trying to prevent crime, we should be preventing it at the roots. We shouldn't be preventing it moments before it happens, right? We should be removing 
not just I, I want to say removing the incentive because there is no incentive, but removing the like desire, I guess, from people by teaching them that not only is this wrong, but it's not going to solve your problems, right? And then holding people accountable for those things, which I think is something that we do pretty well. You know, I think we, a criminal justice system does hold people accountable um, and does lock up a lot of people. So there is something there right now, but you're always going to say, oh, it's too late. You know, we could have prevented it if we only had the data. If we just had the data, we could have done something about it before it happened. <laughs> Turn in your badge. <laughs> Turn in your badge. Why didn't you stop this murder? Uh. Mm, but I mean, this I mean, this kind of go in a different direction, too, with like I saw this whole video about stochastic terrorism, um, which he, he calls it the beauty pipeline, which was a very disingenuous um description he, he really he admits it in the second video he makes that he only did that for the likes or the views but it worked but it worked um well just for the on the people who don't frequent youtube what what, sure. what does that mean stochastic the stochastic okay so the stochastic terrorism is this idea that um you can start people on a journey toward rad radicalization and all it takes is the right inputs right a an edgy meme is a great example um, you know, a meme that celebrates anti-Semitism, which is a word I rarely say. Well, you never um, use it. Yeah, it's like, what even is this? Like, <laughs> the concept itself um, is foreign. So I was talking to, uh, like, vilifying or Hitler, or not so vilifying, but, um, you know, praising Hitler, um, even ironically, uh, is a journey um, towards the toward terrorism, uh, at least according to some people, um, which... Some people interpret as you can't joke about certain things that like certain things are off limits and you can never talk about them. Um, but it's more like I, I feel like it's more of like having responsibility to seeing what impact your words have. And I think that's the point he got he came with with which I which I ended up agreeing with, even if I feel like he didn't get there in the way that, that I agree with, is that you have to watch out for how your words are interpreted by other people whether you intended something or not is not as important as how people interpret it and watching for you know the people in your community or watching for people around you who are you see are being slowly radicalized or slowly being uh, pushed into a certain dangerous direction is your responsibility and for you to, to step in and say hey stop doing that because as easy as it is to get into it it's just as easy to step out of it especially in those early stages but if you start arresting stochastic terrorists, if you start arresting people who are having who are making edgy memes, you know, I also feel like that's an example of pre-crime in a way. You know, you're taking uh, you're taking uh, making people holding people accountable for things that they haven't done. That's why we need memes, man, so we can figure out where the line is. You know, is that why we need memes? <laughs> I've actually heard that as an argument for comedians. So. Comedians are there to see just how far we can go. What's off limits? What is what's off limits? What do you mean as, as, as a joke or yes. is it as like a taboo for society? Well, I, I don't know both. What we can talk about, I guess, uh, mm. which I guess would mean a taboo for society. Just they push the limits as to what is can be funny, and a lot of comedians like make their make their whole career off of being edgy. Uh, and I think right now because we're kind of in a PC, I think it's gone back a little bit. I think we've reached the pinnacle of it and maybe we're coming back now, but like PC culture has definitely destroyed some comedians or at least made them less popular. Um, and 
I, I this is kind of spinning off, so I want to bring it back. But I think memes are like that too, and I would not like for us to police meme creation or assume things about the creators of the memes just because you know it's something that could, in theory, r- radicalize someone else into terrorism. Right. The, the key with this, just like anything else, is communication and and being clear with your intent um, and making something. You know, you can you can make a bad joke, but as long as like you recognize the implications that you're you're putting forward and you do something else to counteract that, I guess. Um, well, so you're saying it, like if you make an edgy joke, you should be like, I'm obviously joking. Like, don't don't take this seriously. Is that disclaimer necessary? I think it is in some cases. I think uh, I think if you recognize that what you're saying could be taken in a way that is like does not your intention, you know. That's the thing. It's like, oh, like you didn't, the idea that you didn't get my joke or like the, I, like, you know, that's that, that whole saying, um, you had to be there. Yes. It's like, no, you have to tell the story better. Like you have to tell the joke better. That's my, that's my theory. I actually totally disagree. I think context matters so much. I hate when people get, give me the context. Okay. Fair enough. Tell the story in a way that I have the context. And if you can't do that, then you don't have a story. Right, but I think a lot of the times people take things out of context and put them in their own story to frame them in a certain way. And that, well, that's, that's what I disagree true. with. It's like, yeah, well, and this is especially prom, uh, prevalent in comedy. Because if you take something that a comedian said out of context on stage, it can make them sound like the worst person ever. But right, if, but then you, if you put in that context, it's, it's so easy just to say, you took me out of context. And then the person who took you out of context looks like it's a real asshole. Right. And hopefully we can get to the point where we do that more frequently. But a lot of times people love to take like a single quote and say, look, this is what this person stands for completely. And it's uh, not good. Yeah, exactly. And it's, yeah. And, and But that's that's just a shortcut that people take, you know, and we're, we're realizing that very slowly with like cancel culture and how toxic that can be is that like people are looking for shortcuts to, to judge people. They're looking for a reason for to put people into boxes and they're always doing that, whether they're conscious of it or not. They're saying, oh, this person is this type of person. That I'm done with that person. I don't have to think about that person anymore because I've already got them totally figured out. That's not how it works. Nobody's like that. Nobody fits into one box. Um, and he, it's okay to disassociate with yourself with people and say, I don't like that person or anything. But it's I feel like it's also super easy to be quick to judge um, with very little evidence. Yes, especially when you've known someone for years and that you think that they're fine and then you find out they tweeted something nine years ago and you're like, whoa, hold up. They've actually been literally Hitler the whole time? Like, okay, <laughs> chill, you know? And I, and again, I agree with you. I think we're slowly figuring that out um, and it'll be hopefully less of an issue in the future. I feel us spiraling off of the topic of Minority Report, so I want to reel us back in and uh, try to finish this off with our ratings. Joey, do you want to give this movie your rating first? I I will. Are you ready? Yes. I give this movie one moldy eye sandwich. Eye sandwich? (laughs) (laughs) Ew. I don't think the mold even makes it that much worse. Like just eating a, a sandwich full of eyeballs. Um, <laughs> fittingly, fittingly, I also have an eye-themed uh, rating. I give this Good. movie a replacement set of eyeballs that you can nice. you can use after you finish watching it. You can give yourself some new eyes. 
That's good. After all the gross things you had to witness in this movie. I really enjoyed it, though. I, I feel like this came off a little bit negative. I don't know. We'll see when we listen back to it. I really did enjoy this movie. I think it's very provocative. I think there's plenty. It gives you a lot to talk about. It's a little long, but uh, it's also great Tom Cruise, like, being Tom Cruise. He's kind of a weirdo anyways, so it makes sense he's kind of a weirdo in this movie. So I, I'm, I'm glad we talked about this one. Yeah, me too. What is next on Affable Chat, Joey? Next movie we're doing is Semi-Pro. That's right. I haven't seen Semi-Pro. I'm really into basketball right now, if you've been keeping up with my Twitter and or YouTube channel. So uh, we're going to talk about some basketball on uh, Affable Chat. And I, I, I've i heard this was pretty good. I heard it's fun. Yeah, sports. Yeah, sports. Sports ball. And, uh, sports. Yeah, Joey is famously not a big sports fan, so I uh, I can't wait to discuss to force him into discussing sports <laughs> with me, even if it's of the fictional variety. So I think that's the end of the episode. Uh, if you want to contact us, you can call us at our voicemail. Um, it's eight three three six hundred chat. That number is eight three three six hundred two four two eight. It's your opportunity to hear yourself on the podcast. This is wide open. Anything you want to talk about, call us up. Dial that number, 833-600-CHAT. 833-600-2428. Call now, and you could hear yourself on an upcoming episode of Affable Chat. This is your chance to finally hit the big time. Don't miss it. Do it. Do it. (laughs) Um, Also, subscribe to us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. Uh, We do make these episodes with the intention of you having seen the movie. Obviously we're not describing the movie to you. We're discussing the topics inside. So um, keep those episodes coming in. So when we make one about a movie you've seen, you can listen to it right away and uh, leave us a review. You can leave, leave it on iTunes or anywhere else. Uh, we definitely read all of them and check them all out. So we really appreciate it. It's super helpful to help uh, expand the audience and keep this thing going. We're, we're, uh, we're, I mean, believe it or not, Apple Chat has been growing. Our last few months have been our best ever as far as exposure. And it's, it's really those reviews that you guys keep bringing in. We love it. Uh, you can reach us. Also, if you don't feel like picking up the phone to call us, you can reach us on Twitter at Apple Chat or send us an email, AffableChat at gmail.com. We also have a YouTube channel. Um, the last episode was Benjamin's uh, video about OKC and Supersonic, so check it out. Yes, and uh, smash that subscribe button and ring the uh, notification bell. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that's basically uh, that's this this episode. So um, thank you for listening, and uh, I'll see you later. <laughs> sorry, <laughs> All right, I'm done. I, I'm sorry. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Affable Chat. We're available on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review. We would really appreciate it. If you have a question, comment, or want to request something for us to talk about, you can reach us at our Twitter account, at Affable Chat, or our email, affablechat at gmail.com. Once again, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. (laughs) 